Well, I want you to turn in your Bible to Joel. I'll give you about four minutes to find it. No, honestly, it's Daniel, Hosea, Joel, okay? If you get to Amos, you've gone too far. If you get to Andy, you've got the wrong translation of the Bible. Now, some of you are, huh? What's he referring to? Well, anyways, I know that dates me, but we all have a date, right? We all have a date. I've entitled this series as we go to the book of Joel, Getting Ready for the Day of the Lord. Getting Ready for the Day of the Lord. Most people don't spend much time in the minor prophets. It's just the fact most of us today who are Gentiles, we read these things and it's like really not understanding what it's talking about. Some of that has to do with it is written to the nation of Israel first and foremost, okay? Understand this. The Old Testament, it's written to the Jewish people, but it's written for all people, okay? So there is a context, but it goes broader than that. It goes further than that. It's, this, this is for us. It may not be directly to us in the immediate context, but in the broader sense, it is for us because it is in the Scripture. And of course, the New Testament, by the way, says that many times. These things are written for our admonition, Paul said in his writing. So these are things, when he says our admonition, that means listen up. And that's really where we're going with this in this series. Joel, getting ready for the day of the Lord. Now, let me just mention this, a little bit of introductory stuff here before we launch into the text. The ministry of the Old Testament prophet was not a popular one. When the Jewish people saw an Old Testament prophet approaching them, they thought they got something bad to say. They've got something about judgment. They've got something that's going to tell us about how sinful we are. And this was very often the case. And so if you were a prophet now, you know, it was great to be a prophet because you're called of God to do that. Whenever you're in the middle of the will of God, it's a great thing. But realize, okay, and of course, somebody who really dealt with this in a difficult way throughout his life was Jeremiah. And of course, he developed the name, the weeping prophet. His ministry was not your best life now or how to win friends and influence people, okay? He didn't have a lot of friends. Isaiah, we believe that he was martyred for the Lord, cut in half, many people believe. And so the ministry of the prophet was not a popular one. But listen, it was a necessary one. And there are times today when the ministry, the pulpit ministry in this age of grace, needs to take on the ministry of Old Testament prophet, not misapplying the word of God, but applying the principles properly and using it and teaching it. We are supposed to, at times, reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. It isn't just words of encouragement. There are times when we need to hear things that might be offensive. You might say, boy, I wonder what he's planning here. He's gearing up for something. He's, he's, you know, he's loaded for bear kind of idea. No, it isn't that today. I'm just saying there are times, folks, when we need to hear the hard things. And not only us, there are times when our world needs to hear the hard things. Now, I understand we're just a small church here in St. Cloud, Minnesota, you know, mid-Minnesota, and people don't even usually think about Minnesota unless they think of International Falls and all of that, you know, icebox of the country and 
who wants to live there and all that. And I, and I get that. I get that. That's the way we used to think about Minnesota before we came here. We still do, but uh, <laughs> not really. We do realize there are people here who live in houses and they don't drive bobsleds, okay? They drive cars, most of them. But here's the point. There are times when we need to hear things and the world needs to hear things. Now, I know not everybody's going to hear what we have to go over here in the book of Joel, but it needs to be preached anyway. It needs to be taught anyway because it is the word of God. And as we put this out there to you and then to other people as well through uh, media, hopefully we believe, matter of fact, we know, that God will bring people to the message that needs to be heard. Not everybody in the world is going to listen, and I don't expect that. We certainly don't expect it. But I do expect those of us who are here to listen to this today. Okay, a lot said on that, but it's important groundwork for us to cover. Many believe that Joel was written around 835 BC. There's debate about that. That's not where we're going to spend our time today. Let somebody else deal with that who, who knows more about it. We'll just trust that that's the ballpark figure around 800, 835 BC, which by the way, makes him older as far as his prophecy goes than Isaiah who came later or earlier, depending on how you see the line on time. Joel is called one of the minor prophets, although the messages of the minor prophets were not minor because they came from God himself, just as important as any of the scriptures. Joel's name means Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. Now, there are a lot of people at the time who had the name Joel. He wasn't unique in that sense. But nevertheless, that is what the name means, right? Think about Jesus, the name Jesus, okay? God who is our Savior. Now think of that, Jesus, God who is our Savior. Yeah, you can go to Mexico today and you can find lots of people named Jesus, but they're not God who is our Savior. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now the theme of Joel is the day of the Lord. This term, day of the Lord, The day of the Lord is a time when God brings judgment down on mankind. God brings judgment down on mankind. Usually it's speaking about the period of time that from where we're living today is yet future. After the rapture of the church, the rapture of the church when the Lord, and we don't know when it's going to happen, it could happen at any moment, when he comes back and he's going to call all the believers, those who have trusted Christ alone as Savior, he's going to call them out of the world to be with him, and we're going to be caught up in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, to meet him in the air. He's not coming all the way back to earth at that point. We're going to meet him in the air. After we go to heaven at that point, then the tribulation period begins. And one of the titles of that seven-year tribulation is the day of the Lord. Now it's longer than that. It goes actually through the kingdom age to the end of time, to the great white throne, that point. But nevertheless, all of that is the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord is a time when God brings judgment down on mankind. Usually, it is speaking about the period of time, again, right after the rapture to the end of the millennium. But context is key. Every time it says the day of the Lord, it isn't necessarily talking about the seven-year tribulation period, although oftentimes it is. And many times, if it isn't specifically talking about that, if you look at it, you can see behind 
off stage, yeah, you know what? This applies to that too. This applies to the tribulation period. Even though he's talking about a judgment of the people right here, you can see marks, types in it that say, you know what? That sounds also like the seven-year tribulation. You'll see that as we go through Joel. So as a simple outline to the book of Joel, here you go. The day of the Lord in Joel's time. The day of the Lord in Joel's time. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. And then the second part, the day of the Lord in the future time. Chapter 2, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 21. Simple. That's a simple outline of the book. The day of the Lord in Joel's time. The day of the Lord in the future time. I see this book as one that is calling out to the world to wake up and to know that the judgment of God is coming. That's not going to be a popular message. People are going to accuse you of sensationalism. You're a religious wacko. You're a nut. You're this and you're that. Yeah, judgment. God's going to judge. Yeah, we're, you know, everybody, people have been saying that for 2,000 years. What's he doing? Well, I'll tell you what, if you open your eyes, you'll see what he's doing. It is calling out to the world to wake up and know that judgment is coming. But it is also calling out to the world, telling you, telling us that there is hope in Jesus Christ. So it isn't doom and gloom and that's the end. No, for those who reject Jesus Christ, it is doom and gloom forever. But God is offering eternal life as a free gift to those who will put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So there is hope, but you have to find it in the right place. We don't manufacture a wonderful eternity. God is the one who says what constitutes that and how you get into that eternal life and live with him. So as we get into chapter one here, the theme would be simply, listen up. The judgment of God is not a popular topic today, even in churches. If you talk about God judging people today, you are labeled as a legalist or a out-of-date preacher, hellfire and brimstone. By the way, hellfire and brimstone does exist. It's going on right now, and it'll go on forever, whether you believe in it or not. It is a reality. There are people in hell. It is a real place. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Well, I didn't know that. That's why we need to listen up. This is not a popular topic, even in churches. We tend to pretend that everything is okay. Wickedness is okay. Alternative lifestyles are okay. Yeah, yeah, that used to be wrong, but you know, we've matured and now we don't think that's wrong any longer, even though God's word has not changed. But see, people tend to push the Bible aside and adopt their own ideas. Again, what I'm saying is not going to be popular. But dear friends, I know with all my heart, it's true. God's word doesn't change. Righteousness is defined by God, not the world, not the government, not society, not your neighborhood. It is defined by God, what is right and what is wrong. Everything is not okay. Once the rapture takes place, once the church is taken out of the world, the world will drastically change forever forever. This is not overstated. Prophecy is being fulfilled as we speak. 
Things are falling into place. I know people say, oh, I'm so concerned. You know, things are falling apart. No, they're falling into place. God is ultimately in control. He's not ruling and reigning yet. That's not until Jesus sets up his kingdom. But God is ultimately in control of the world. And things are falling into place. It's like a giant. The world and the way things are going, it's like a big chess game being thoughtfully played out. And sometimes you don't see anything happening. And then there's this one move over here. And then there's this one move over there. Folks, there's a day coming when God says, checkmate, checkmate, I win. It's coming. Now, if you're a Christian, that's good news. If you're not a Christian, it's very bad news for you. So listen up. Once the rapture takes place, again, the world will drastically change forever. Prophecy is being fulfilled, and the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, that the day of the Lord, which is our theme, is going to come, the future day of the Lord, is going to come as a thief in the night. The people of the world will be surprised when it comes. Why? Because they're not paying attention Well, I'll tell you why. Okay, I don't have my phone on me right now, but the entire world is walking around like this. And so it's going to come as a thief in the night. Why? Well, because they're addicted to their appendage. Here's the point. We need to pay attention and we need to encourage other people to pay attention because this is going to happen. Joel begins his book with a natural disaster. How's that to start? A plague of locusts comes and devours the land. It is clear that God is trying to get the attention of the people, not only the nation of Israel, but he's trying to get the attention, as we read Joel, of the people of the world. Let's get into our text. Joel 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Look what he says. Hear this, ye old men. Give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Now, that's a way of saying, in other words, have you ever seen anything like this? This plague that has come, have you ever seen anything like this in your lifetime or in your parents' lifetime? This plague of locusts, literally locusts that come. Tell ye your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. You need to educate your family and the generations to come about what God can do and what he's doing at this point in time. So number one, there is a lesson to learn from what God is doing in the world, okay? First and foremost, it was directed to the children of Israel, to the people of Israel. We know that, but there's, we're gleaning from it and there's lessons for everybody in the world. There is a lesson for the entire world. Through this judgment, God is warning them of future judgment. Let me say it again. You're going to see this in Joel. Through this judgment of locusts in chapter one, God is warning them of future judgment that's going to come upon the world. Verse four, that which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten, that which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten, that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. I'd say, what is that talking about? Simply this, it's the nature, the way locusts work. One source says this, and I quote, four varieties of locusts, 
out of a total of more than 80, boy, I'd hate to be in pest control back then, four varieties of locusts out of a total of more than 80 are mentioned. Literally, the Hebrew words mean shearer, swarmer, lapper, devourer. Okay? Locust swarms commonly number in the millions, if not billions. If locusts show up, folks, it's bad news. Each succeeding group of locusts eats whatever is left from the previous invasion, making the devastation complete. Unquote. This is what God sent. So there was the foliage, there were the the trees, the leaves, and everything. The locusts came, and when they came and left, there was zero left. Zero was left. This leads us to our second point, and this is very, very important. The plague of locusts was from the hand of God. Now, this is not going to be popular, but it needs to be said. Understand that what is going on in the world today as I speak is God at work. That doesn't sit well with some Christians. As a matter of fact, it may sit better with some lost people than some Christians. Here's the truth, though. He either allows it to run its course or he causes it to happen. And we never know which is the case. He created the world and all of the creation will answer to him someday. He is the sovereign of the universe. What he says go, his will will prevail. Through the rebellion of man, through the law of sowing and reaping, and through direct intervention by God, he is trying to get people's attention so that they will listen to him and turn to him in faith, trusting Christ as Savior. Why? Because, folks, what is coming in the future is horrific. It's horrific. This is not sensationalism. If you believe the Bible, you need to believe what I'm telling you, because it's true. You notice in verse 2, the words, hear this, Look further in. Give ear. What is going on? It is clear that God can send, and that's what he did. Listen. It is clear that God can send plagues and disasters to the masses to wake up people so that they will turn to him in faith. He sends general judgments to all mankind at times, but this is the beauty of him. He deals with the individual by grace. Now, that is an important thing to understand. What am I saying? Here's what I'm getting at. He can send a plague like these locusts. By the way, he can send it anytime, anywhere, to any extent that he wants because he's God. Okay? Now, the world and even some Christians will say, I don't like that. It's hard for me to believe in a God who'll do something like that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He sends them to the masses, but he deals with the individual by grace. Here's what I'm saying. Because Jesus died and rose again, he resurrected. There is hope. There is hope for mankind. But it is only in Jesus Christ. And as long as man is set 
in a state of rebellion towards God and doesn't want to hear about Jesus and doesn't want to have anything to do with God or the Bible or whatever, friend, you are choosing disaster for yourself. Not a popular message. But this is the message of the prophets. These disasters, this plague, these locusts, these were a picture of what is coming in the future. But then what would come in the future is on a global scale, not just there where Joel was prophesying. Look at Joel chapter 1, verse 5. What does it say? Awake, ye drunkards, and weep. And how, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. What's he saying? Hey, ye drunkards, guess what? The locusts came and they wiped out all the grapes. There are no more vineyards. You're going to go through withdrawal. You have nothing to drink. For a nation is come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. Now, I believe in the context here, the nation is a description of the massive army of locusts coming to devour the land. They're seen as a nation. Verse 7, he hath laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree or stripped off the bark of the fig tree. He hath made it clean and bare. Who is this? This nation that would come up, this one, okay? And this is what the locusts did. He hath made clean bare and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. Which leads us to our third point, and it is this, folks. This is a call to wake up. When we see disasters going on, we, when people talk about this is unprecedented famine in modern times and all these kind of things, what's going on? It's not, well, you know, we're just going through the evolutionary process, survival of the fittest. Friend, that's bunk. That's baloney. Listen, God is working. Now, yes, I understand some things happen because of man's poor decisions in the sense of, well, you know what? Yeah, you don't have this and you don't have that because you wrecked everything and so you're doing without. That's an issue of sowing and reaping. But what I'm getting at and what Joel is getting at here, there are times when it is a divine judgment of God on the world to wake them up, to tighten the screws, to twist their arm and say, are you listening yet? Are you listening yet? Are you listening yet? You might say, oh, I don't, I don't think that's the God of the Bible. It is the God of the Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. God can do that. Why? Why would God do such a thing? You might say, oh, does God, does he, does he ever in, inflict pain or this or that? If he does, it's always for a bigger purpose, a good purpose, a wonderful purpose. Listen, if through sending judgments, through sending pestilence and war and famine, as by the way, he's doing that today, he's allowing that to come, he's bringing some of it on the world, if that will wake people up to where they'll say, you know what, I've got to find out about Jesus Christ. I've got to find out what God says. I've got to find out on how I can get in a right relationship with God. Wouldn't that be better than to just go on living a comfortable life and you die and you end up in hell? 
Wouldn't it be better for the pressures of life and the difficulties of life and the suffering that people go through? Wouldn't it be better if that leads people to them understanding their need of salvation and then looking for the gospel or or God bringing it to them because they're being drawn by the Lord Jesus Christ. If I be lifted up, he said, I'll draw all men unto me. Isn't it true that he's drawing all different ways? Don't you love hearing testimonies, how this person got saved and how that one got saved? These miraculous stories of, you know, there's a person and we had situations years ago in in the church where we were at. There was a girl walking down the street, walking down the street. She looked down and there was this little blue pamphlet. I think it was blue, maybe. Had basically the same information as our heaven track. It was discarded. It was on the curb. Somebody tossed it, threw it away. She picked it up. She read it. She trusted Christ the Savior. Sue and her talked just a couple weeks ago, right? Her name's Sarah. See, friends, you don't know how God is drawing. I can tell you one way he's drawing, though, is through suffering. One way he's drawing people to himself is through difficulties in life to get people to wake up. Do you remember how many people all around the world after 9-11 were in church the next couple weeks? Why is that? It shocked them into knowing, you know what? I've got to seek out God here. This is the message. Did you know even the seven-year tribulation period, which is yet future as we speak, even that in a sense, in light of eternity and what hell is going to be like, it is an act of mercy by God to put people through that. Why? Because the Bible says untold numbers are going to turn to Christ and put their faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. Those people wouldn't do it if the tribulation period didn't come. Do you understand what I'm saying? I hope I'm communicating today. I said, I thought God loves us. He does. He loves us. He loves us enough to warn us of the impending judgment. This is a call to wake up. They needed to change their thinking and trust in him. By the way, that's what repentance is. The word repentance means to, to have a change in your thinking, to change your mind, to have another mind. I love when the parable of the prodigal son, and there he was, you know, eating with the pigs, And I love the phrase, oh no, it's not the same Greek word as repent. That's behind the word repent. I get that. But the principle is there. It says, and he came to himself. He came to himself. People need to wake up. Verse nine, the meat offerings and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests, the Lord's ministers mourn. Why? They can't get the supplies to do this. The field is wasted, the land mourneth, for the corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up, the oil languisheth. Be ashamed, O ye husbandmen. Howl, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up, the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, the apple tree. Even all the trees of the field are withered. Because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Why is joy withered away? Because they were under the judgment of God. That's why. That's why joy was withered away. I believe with all my heart the unbelievable violence we're seeing even in our country today is because of the pressure that's happening on the world system that we're seeing. The locusts had destroyed all the crops and materials they needed. 
Verse 13, gird yourselves and lament, ye priests. Howl, ye ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholded from the house of your God. Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. Alas, now, very interesting. Alas, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Did you see those words? It is a destruction from the Almighty. So let's quit apologizing for God. One very popular preacher, Andy Stanley, he makes very controversial statements, okay? He's, he's basically moving towards liberalism is what he's doing. It's almost like he apologizes for the way God was in the Old Testament. He says, the way God was in the Old Testament turns people off today. And so don't mention that. Okay, wait a minute. Are you going to just throw the Old Testament away then? Is there nothing there? No, it's written for our admonition. Folks, this is real what we're talking about. See, here's the problem. We don't take sin and rebellion seriously. That's the problem. Verse 15 seems to link this judgment of the locust with the future judgment that is coming, as we shall see. Now, according to Revelation chapter 9, during the future tribulation period, there will be one of the judgments that God pours out on the earth, and you know what they will be? Guess what? Locusts. But they won't be natural locusts. They will be supernatural locusts. I believe demon-possessed creatures described as locusts. That's in Revelation 9. You can read it when you get home today. This leads us to our fourth point. When the rapture takes place, the world will enter into the final day of the Lord. And that begins with the seven-year tribulation period. According to Jesus in Matthew 24, this will be the worst time in human history. Never has there been a time so bad and never will there ever be a time as bad as that period of time. By the way, if you want to know what it's like, read Revelation chapter 6 through 19. I don't recommend you read it right before you go to bed. The only way to escape it is by believing in Jesus Christ as your only way to heaven. It's the only way. Your good works won't get you to heaven. Your good intentions, church membership, trying to keep the commandments, giving money, no good deeds of any kind, no work, no faithfulness, no teaching a Sunday school class, nothing will get you to heaven except what Jesus Christ did on the cross. You need to trust in him and him alone as your way to heaven. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's not interested in partnering with us. What he did on the cross was enough to pay for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And when you trust in him, he gives you as a gift eternal life. If you don't, you will go through this seven-year period of judgment. And friends, if you die without Jesus Christ as Savior, you will go from horrific judgment on this planet to even worse judgment in hell and suffering. Even the tribulation period, as I mentioned, itself is a warning for man to wake up before it is too late. If you die without Christ, you'll be lost forever. Lost forever. 
No second chances. Now, we are seeing some of the same events that are going to be going on during the tribulation period. We're seeing the birth pangs of that period in the days in which we live. These will be devastating realities during the tribulation period. But on a global scale, it will be far worse in the future. Hold your place. Turn with me over to Luke 21. So the message today is a simple one. Bad news for those without Christ. But guess what? For those who've trusted Christ the Savior, it's always good news, isn't it? Because it's one day closer to when we see Jesus and go home to be with him. We pray for the rapture every night. We pray, Lord, please come back. Lord, we love you. We want to see you face to face. Please come back. Isn't that, you know, people, isn't that escapism? You're going to want to escape, buddy. You're going to want to escape from what's coming. Believe me. Yeah, you know what? You call it what you want. (laughs) It's salvation. Salvation is deliverance from trouble. I guess that's escapism, isn't it? Sounds good to me. Okay, I'm an escapist. I'm going to escape forever from this earth. I'm going to go to be with the Lord. Luke 21, verse 10. This is Luke's version of the Olivet Discourse. You find a parallel in Matthew 24, and there's one in Mark. But Luke 21, 10. Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. It's going to be a time of unprecedented war this, during this tribulation period. Great earthquakes in diverse places. Why would anybody want to live in California, by the way? Anyways, let's keep reading. Great earthquakes shall be in diverse places and famines. There is so much famine in the world today. Pestilences, diseases with no cure, fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. This is during the seven-year tribulation, the day of the Lord, which is yet future as I speak. This is coming. That's just a very small sample of what's coming. See, the key is that we wake up and we say, you know what, I need a Savior. I don't want to go through that. I want to go to heaven. I want to know I'm going to heaven. That's why God brings these things. on the. Because, folks, eternity is more important than anything we're going through now. It's forever. And we can have eternal bliss and joy, or we can have eternal torment. And it's simply a matter of what or who have you trusted to get you to heaven. Joel 1 verse 16. Is not the meat cut off before our eyes? Yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God. There it is again. That's the second time that's mentioned. It was mentioned earlier in verse 12 about joy being taken away. When judgment comes, joy exits. Man has no lasting joy because that only comes from the Lord. As long as man is in rebellion towards God, he suffers the results of his sinful decisions. It's not going to change. The land was in turmoil, and the reason the land was in turmoil is because of man's sin. It was a direct judgment of God. Does God do that today? Yes, he does. Why? Because he never said, I'm stopping that. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Now, this is written in the, you know, people say, well, you know, you're messed up. Your dispensations are all messed up. God doesn't deal with the world that way anymore. Yes, he does, friend. The issue of dispensationalism is simply what is God highlighting? What is he spotlighting? 
Okay, yes, the dispensation of grace in which we're living in today, what is he spotlighting? The grace of God. Was there grace before now? Yes, there was grace in the Old Testament. Noah found what? Grace in the eyes of the Lord. There was grace in the Old Testament. But the spotlight, the emphasis was not on the grace of God like it is today. And the church, the church was an unknown in the Old Testament. Romans 1, no, verse 18, this is for today. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The wrath of God is either being poured out or is going to be poured out on all those who are trying to hold down the truth of Scripture, trying to keep people from knowing it or believing it. God's wrath is going to come upon them. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, isn't that where we find ourselves today? God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient or proper. Is that not where we find ourselves today? The awful, evil, wicked, perverse, corrupt stuff that is being taught to little children in the public school system today and all this transgender stuff, and all the stuff that you see, just the brazen rebellion and evil and in your face. It's a recent video that surfaced from the uh, gay community about, we're coming after your sons. It was a video. It was a song. We're coming after your sons. This is what they said. Sounds like Sodom. You think God's just going to, well, they're Listen, God's not going to say, well, they're only joking. They're not serious. They are serious. And God is serious. And he says, judgment's coming. We need to wake up. See, here's the truth of it, folks. Man is destroying himself today. And that's why you see such a high level, a fever pitch of people. It's like society's about to explode, right? It's like they're... We're attacking one another on public transit and and on streets and stuff for no reason, just to attack. The rebellion towards God is like a forest fire out of control. It is brazen rebellion. Back to Joel chapter 1. It says in verse 17, The seed is rotten under their clods. The garners are laid desolate. The barns are broken down. The corn is withered. How do the beasts groan? Why? They're hungry. The herds and the cattle are perplexed. This is not life as usual. There's nothing to eat. Because they have no pasture, yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. You see, when God starts pouring out judgment, it disrupts everything. Think about when the church is taken out of the world. It's going to disrupt everything. Mike said, well, that's only for a period of time. Yeah, and they'll think they got it under control, and then his judgments start being poured out one after another after another. And the Bible says man will cry out to die, and God won't let them. Verse 19, O Lord, to thee will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures in the wilderness, and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field, the beasts of the field cry also unto thee. The rivers of water are dried up and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. That is a perfect picture of what is coming during the tribulation period. You match that up with the judgments in Revelation. 
Which leads us to our last point, and it is this. The Lord is the only one who can fix our calamities. The Lord is the only one who can fix our calamities. Luke 9, 56 said this. Jesus said it. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. You might say, well, why would he bring all these things upon the world and all that? It's causing so much heartache, so much pain. It's because he's got a bigger picture in mind. It's the eternal picture. He's trying to get people to wake up and to see their need of salvation and to put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior. Because if they don't and they die, they'll suffer forever. And it is not God's will for anybody to suffer forever. He wants them to have eternal life. John 3.16. Let me close with this today. Maybe you're here and you're saying, he's got me scared. Well, my point wasn't to scare you, but to wake you up. And maybe you're understanding your need of a Savior today. Let me show you how to know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. With an illustration. I love this. Let's pretend this is you and me. We're going to let this wallet represent all the things we do wrong. And we all do things wrong. God calls them sins. Sins. We're all sinners, including me. Yet the Bible says God loves us, but he hates our sin. You want to know why there's so much trouble in the world? It's because of man's sin. That's what the Bible teaches. It's not God, it's man. God loves us though he hates our sin. To get to heaven, all of your sin has to be gone. Heaven's a perfect place. You can't get in unless you're perfect. None of us are. Therefore, in this condition, none of us can go to heaven. So what are we gonna do? Well, God says he's a God of justice and grace. His justice says your sin's gotta be paid for. You did it. You broke my laws. You broke my word. There's a payment and it's death. You have to be separated from God for all eternity. But God says, I don't want that for you. I want you to be with me for all eternity. And so what he did, friends, because there's nothing we could do to work this sin off. See, good works won't get you to heaven. Might say, I thought they do. No, look up here. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. There's nothing you can do. The only way you can have this sin gone is putting your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior. Why? Here's what he did. This hand representing him came to earth, God in the flesh, sinless. He went to the cross. And when he went to the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself. My whole lifetime of sin was put on Jesus when he died there. He paid it all. He said, it's finished, paid in full. He died, he was buried, he rose from the grave. And the Bible says, if I will believe or trust in him that he made that payment for me, the moment I do, I am given everlasting life. All my sin is forgiven. No sin will be held against me. It's all taken care of. It's all paid. I say, well, sins, if you sin, boy, you've you've got to take care of it. Somebody did it for you because he loves you so much. Jesus, he made the payment. He took the penalty. So you don't have to. And when you put your faith in him, he'll give you eternal life, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Two promises there. You won't perish. If you believe in him, you trust in him, two promises. Number one, you won't perish. That means go to hell. You won't go to hell. Promised by Jesus. 
You trust in him, you won't go to hell, you'll go to heaven. It's the second one, eternal life. All by simply trusting him as Savior. If you haven't trusted him as Savior, please do it today. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.